0: listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of His Word. All right, hey, if you have your Bibles turned to John 11, starting at verse 45, we'll run to the end of the chapter I mean, you didn't come to hear me. We came to gather and worship Jesus and center on the word of God. So here's what it says. John 11, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? Yet yeah, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He said this he said this not of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walking open no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the, with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went from there to the country to, went from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, grab a seat, man. Let me pray again. So Father, we thank you that you've given us the, the glorious opportunity to gather together in person. Man, what a gift that is. What a joy that is. And in the midst of chaos and a pandemic and sickness all around we know that you still reign that you're still king you're still sitting on your throne you're still above all and everything is subjected to you and so we praise you we worship you we are here to lift the name of Jesus on high so father would your spirit reveal to us truths about you that we would walk away transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, transformed because of your word sanctifying us and cleansing us. We want nothing more than Jesus to be exalted and Jesus to be praised. So Father, here I am just a man, man who wants the world to know you and to love you and to be in right relationship with you. It's about a meditation in my mouth and posture of my heart may it be honored and pleasing to God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. As Ed said, hey, man, i Daniel Dixon from the area. My wife and I are here and my in-laws and my, my, our sister. And man, we're from here, but for a season, we went to Kansas City to prepare ourselves to be coming back to Northern Virginia to plant a church. I and mean, I believe that at the end of this time, we'll have more opportunities to hear more about what God's calling us. But as I got back in town, I connected with Justin and Justin was like, hey, man, would you come and preach for us? And I said, no doubt. What's the text? John 11:45 45 through 57. So I go and read the text and I quickly learn this isn't the text that you and I are going to run to our accountability partner to memorize. This isn't the text that you and I are going to write on on our coffee mugs to to memorize in the morning. But as I began to study the text, pray through the text, read over the text, and I began to see just how relevant this passage is for us today. This passage shows us that Jesus is a polarizing person. And his message demands that you and I choose a definitive side. But we see in this text, humans are wicked. I mean, these people devised a plan to put Jesus to death. I mean, we see lust for power and status and position. And we also see how political passion can push people further away from Christ. Although each of those topics can have a sermon in themselves. Now, that's not what I want to focus on. That's not what I want to zoom in on this evening. I want us to look at Caiaphas' words, but his words are not ordinary. Right? They're, they're not a common phrase that you would hear in the marketplace or in a weekly meeting. Caiaphas, unbeknownst to him, says a prophecy. And the way the author of this gospel, John, captures Caiaphas' words actually have a double meaning. Like John intentionally places these words so that we would slow down and see Jesus. But the way that you and I would read them at first glance is like, man, Jesus is in their way and they're trying to get rid of him. But the Jews whom John was writing this letter to, they would have immediately thought about the sacrificial lamb. Like They would have immediately thought about the sacrificial lamb Who brings God's people together as family because Christ is the substitutionary atonement. And simply, that means Christ died on our behalf so that we could be in a right relationship with God. And and God has sent His Son to redeem us and to restore us, those who have been scattered abroad. Right, man? Those of us who are lost and have rebelled against God, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in our place and to cleanse us of our sins those who would repent and put their faith in jesus would be in right relationship with god and that he would invite us back into his family as one i mean, i love playing games with my older brothers man we were the most competitive family there was and Man, whether it's like video games or card games, whatever the case is, man, we just want it to be competitive. We want to outdo one another. So I remember one time, my brothers was like, after we were finished playing Spades, they were like, hey, yo, Daniel, you want to play 52-card pickup? I'm like, man, I don't know what that game is. Can you explain it to me? They were like, there's no explanation needed, it's just 52-card pickup. So my brother took a stack of, of a deck of cards and he began to spray them around the living room. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing? He's like, man, this is 52 card pickup. So I'm going into the couches, underneath the table, everywhere in the house, picking each card up one by one and putting them back into the deck, gathering them, stacking them as one. And Jesus does the same with us. Those whom the Father has given to Him, John 10 tells us, He has become our substitutionary atonement. He died in our place so that we would find our hope in Him and believe in Him. And those who have found their hope in Him and believe in Him are not a part of God's family, both now and forever. Family. Jesus dies so that we can be family. God's family, his children is marked with the blood of the lamb. And there's no other way into his family than through Jesus' death and resurrection. Right? There's, there's no way that you can climb a ladder and get to the third floor and sneak into the house or into the family. Like You can't just bust down the door and say, hey, I'm here. And the only way into God's family is through the blood of the lamb, his death and resurrection and those who would trust in him and him alone. Okay, so let's dive into this text, focusing on Caiaphas' prophecy. And out of his prophecy, we'll look at two different privileges that we have as we're a part of God's family. Look at verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the, Romans and, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You know nothing, Caiaphas says. Nor do you understand that it is better for one man that should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So, like, let's zoom in into the unintentional prophecy. Man, has there ever been a moment in your life where you've been in a meeting or been in a room and you said something so dope, like, it caught you and people off guard? (laughs) Like, man, like, it was a pun, a powerful statement. Like, whatever the thing was, kind of like that mic drop moment, that the entire tone of the room just shifted. And that's kind of the moment that we have here with Caiaphas and his folks. I mean, on the heels of Jesus' seventh and final miracle in his ministry, just before he becomes the great miracle. you got folks flocking to Jesus, some believing, others running their mouths to to the Pharisees. They gather because they're tight. I mean, they're frustrated that Jesus is winning people to himself. And the Jews... Believing that if the Jews are believing in Jesus and in the Pharisees mind and the the, the priest's mind, that that equates trouble for them against Rome. So they call for this meeting and the intent of this entire meeting is to answer the one question from the text. So what are we to do with this Jesus guy? We need to get him out of the way because he's making us look bad. And if he continues, man, so rap for us against Rome. So every person present in this meeting is worried about one thing and one thing only. How can I remain on top? Like how can I remain elite within this society, continue to gain political power and status? Like, man, how can I keep my money in my pocket and not mess it up? That's Their intent of this meeting is it's all about them. I mean, this council didn't gather to talk about how they can care for and meet the needs of those around them it's not about serving the poor and putting in systems and structures to lift up the working class or individuals and families in poverty they're not discussing injustices cultural issues problems that create a generational divide none of that man this council meeting is led with pride it's led with arrogance Hard hearts seeking to advance their own kingdom and not the kingdom of God, however, God uses an unbelieving hard-hearted priest to prophesy about jesus death. Look at verse 49 but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, "You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better For you, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should die. Caiaphas is speaking purely on a political level. I mean, all he knew was that his words were convincing enough to make a unanimous, unanimous decision to kill Jesus. Meaning from that day forward, it was resolved in their hearts that they were doing everything they could to kill the Messiah. But God in his sovereignty and his providence, he gives Caiaphas' prophecy a different meaning. John's first century Jews would have heard Caiaphas's prophecy, and it immediately triggered the thought of the sacrificial lamb or the substitutionary atonement. All right? But think back to the beginning of this sermon series in John 1, where the, the gospel writer John captures the, the words of John the Baptist. He says, behold, hey, stop what you're doing. I hey, mean, you fishermen, chill. Stop what you're doing. Disciples, pay attention. And that man right there is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then just a few verses later, he repeats himself. Behold, the Lamb of God. And this kind of language, like this sacrificial language is littered throughout the Bible. All right, listen to what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that... Was, before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Right, listen to what two other commentators say about the theology of atonement. One says, The Lamb is our eternal message. The encounter between Abraham and Isaac prophesied his sacrifice, the Passover applied the principles of his sacrifice. Isaiah 53 personified his sacrifice. John 1 identified the sacrifice. And then it is magnified in Revelation 5. The sacrificial sacrificial death of Christ, that is the essence of our message. And another commentator says, Christ's death meets the four needs that we have as sinners. One we deserve to die as a penalty for sin. Two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. Three, we are separated from God by our sin. Four, we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. These four needs are met by Christ's death in these following ways. Sacrifice, his appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9. Propitiation. That's just a fancier word of saying God's wrath is poured out on Christ and we now have favor because we're in Christ. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.10. we didn't reconciled, Back to God. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. and redemption. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Caiaphas. This hard-hearted, selfish high priest uses gospel language. It is better for you that one man should die for the people. If we miss the point of that prophecy, then we miss seeing Jesus in the text. Let me say it again. If we miss the point of that prophecy, then we miss seeing Jesus in this text. Remember that? Caiaphas, the high priest, that year makes comments on this situation with straight mockery and sheer shaming his peers. But, but God uses him to, 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 you, to say an unintentional prophecy. Brothers and sisters, may I pray that you and I do not find ourselves like the high priest, like the Pharisees and those who made up this meeting, blinded by their selfishness, blinded by our self-centeredness, causing us to miss the much-needed Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, who died in our place so that we can be reconciled to God. One man should die and would die to fulfill the eternal plan God has held in his heart to bring salvation to all. Those who would trust in Jesus have been adopted into the family of God and now are his children. We're no longer, we no longer belong to the kingdom of this world, but we're citizens of a kingdom. And that kingdom is in heaven where Christ reigns as king and we are his people. So I just want to highlight two privileges is that we have, because we've been adopted into God's family. But before I move any further, man, I want to be abundantly clear in this moment. I know this is going to sound mad foreign because when we talk about things that are exclusive and we, we can only talk about inclusivity or everybody's a part, and man, I'm not making fun of our society. I'm just naming the cultural moment that we live in. But I don't want there to be any confusion here as we move forward. Like these... These these benefits, these privileges that we have in Christ are only for God's children. Those who have put their trust and faith in Christ, those who have repented and believe in Jesus. And Jesus has finished work on the cross alone for their salvation. But it's just as a man, I'm not trying to stiff arm you if you don't know Christ in this moment. That's actually an invitation to to trust Jesus for the very first time in this moment. I mean, if you would say this evening that you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you have been trying to live a good life and merit your way into right standing with God. I mean, there's good news for you right now. And that good news is that right where you are, you can respond to the free gift of grace in Jesus and be reconciled to God by asking God to forgive you of your sin, past, present, and future. Believing that Jesus is who He says He is and completed the work God sent Him to do on our behalf and for His glory. So man, I just want to highlight two privileges that we have as children of God. And by no means is this an exhaustive list. My encouragement in this moment is that you and I would, would hear these two privileges, these benefits, and it would, it would, we would respond in praise and worship, and that we would go and search out more of these benefits that we have in Christ, these privileges that we have in Christ. So look with me at verse 41 or 51 and 52. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. In my junior year in high school, my mom makes a poor decision which results a nine-year sentence. And because of that, that, that sentence, my siblings and I, we became homeless. Fast forward to the end of my senior year, I had two families who said, hey, Daniel, we care about you, we love you, and we want to welcome you into our home. And we want to treat you as one of ours. And I would often find myself wanting to enjoy the, the snacks that they had. I mean, They, they had a full pantry of Skittles, Snickers, Doritos, Gatorade, like anything a teenage kid would want. And I would find myself just staring and gazing at it. Not believing that that was mine because I was a part of their family. There would be oftentimes moms or dads or brothers would come and say, hey Daniel, because you are in our family, we treat you like family and you can enjoy all the benefits and the gifts that we have in here. The same is with with those who are in Christ, who are in God's family. We have benefits and privileges because we have been adopted into His family through Christ. And so the first one is right relationship with God. We now have a proper relationship with God for an eternity because Jesus has reconciled, restored, and redeemed us We enjoy, we get to enjoy our relationship with God the Father without fear of punishment, without fear of shame, without acting like we're always in trouble, without waiting for the perfect moment to speak to mom or dad, right? Without trying to wait for the perfect moment to speak to God. And then there's no time limit on how long we can speak with Him. But God enjoys being in relationship with us. And we don't have to perform for him to get his attention like we do for our parents. Regardless of how good or bad your earthly father is or was, God does not treat you like that. God treats you as a heavenly father would with love, with grace, with mercy, with gentleness, with meekness. He sees you, he knows you, and he cares deeply about you. So privilege one is we are in right relationship with Him, And privilege number two is we're free from all sin. Because we are in Christ and have been been adopted into God's family through the, the shed blood of Christ, we're free from guilt, from shame and fear. And we're free from the penalty of sin. And when we sin, not if, Because if you're breathing in this air, you will sin. We will sin. But when you and I sin, we have have a God who is gracious and merciful. He's waiting for us to repent. And I'm not saying that we have a license to sin and to live wild. But when we fail to be obedient to God, He meets us with grace and with open arms. Because we are free from sin, from all sin in Christ, that means that we can deal with the sin of our past in the presence of God. The sin that we tuck away and void, that we'll never pull that back out of the treasure chest, pull that out of the closet, we'll never acknowledge and deal with, right? That most wicked, evil thing that you and I have never done, man, that sin too we are free from. We can experience healing from the hurt and pain it has caused us through the redeeming grace of God. And the ultimate reason we can name what that sin is and deal with it appropriately is because we have freedom in Christ. John 8 verse 31 says this, 31-32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as the children of God, we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Because we're hidden in Christ, God is screaming to the world, you are mine. He's mine. She's mine. That's what He's screaming to the world and what He is telling you and me, His children is Man, I've got you. I'm holding on to you close and tight and there's nothing that can separate you from me. So Jesus must die so that we can be family. Let me pray. So Father, man, thank you. We thank you that you've loved us and you love us with an eternal love. And that those who are in your family because of Christ can enjoy the privileges of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And those who are not yet in Christ can enjoy those privileges as well if they trust in Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. They too can enjoy the privileges of being in right relationship with you and being freed from sin and many more. So Father, we... Love you because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at SojournFairfax.com. Go in peace.